The political world is becoming increasingly volatile and unpredictable, while at the same time having a profound impact on the lives of citizens across the globe. This is Polis Podcast, and I am Thomas Barton, the founder of Polis Analysis. Every week, I'll be in the virtual armchair with relevant experts from Polis teams to discuss the key developments shaping the political world. All we need is for you to join us on the virtual sofa. Welcome back to the Polis podcast. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Uh, Last time we were with you at the end of 2021, uh, we were talking about the current or latest developments in UK politics. And it seems incredibly timely to kick off the podcast in 2022 with analysis on uh, the latest political developments in the UK, given there's a huge amount of drama uh, engulfing Westminster and beyond. I'm joined once again by Harry, our digital editor who edits this podcast and who also focuses on UK politics at Polis. And also by, uh, I'm also joined by Cameron, who heads up our fake news research work at Polis and also works in Westminster. Welcome back, guys, to the podcast. Yet another conversation on uh, UK political developments. Cameron, uh, can you just tell our listeners what on earth is going on now? Yeah, thanks for having us back, Thomas. Um, so, for our listeners in the UK, this will be no secret whatsoever, but for those around the world who are listening, the Prime Minister is facing growing calls to resign his position over what the media have dubbed Partygate. His uh, residence and office in, in number 10 Downing Street uh, has had lots of accusations levelled at it um, over parties taking place during COVID lockdown restrictions uh, that, that were completely against the rules. Uh, and uh, as a result, the Prime Minister has, has been facing uh, the, these calls to resign o- over these, uh, these lockdown parties. Um, his defence has been uh, questioned by Parliament, questioned uh, by the media. Um, he, he's owned up to the fact that uh, wrongdoing has been done. Um, and it's been referred to the civil service for an for a independent inquiry, um, the result of which should be released next week. Absolutely. And uh, as you say, Cameron, there have been calls uh, for him to resign. I mean, the Labour uh, leader has been clear in calling for him to resign, as have the leaders of other opposition parties, the Scottish Nationalist Party, the Liberal Democrats, among others. But the Prime Minister apologised in the House of Commons last week. Uh, he clearly does not feel as though he needs to resign. Um, well, Harry, what, what, what other way can he be removed from office if he's not going to leave voluntarily? So within the Conservative Party in Parliament, there's a group called the 1922 Committee, and their role is to decide election rules for leadership contests. And it's chaired by someone called Sir Graham Brady. And essentially, if there was to be 15% of the party to send a letter to this Sir Graham Brady MP to say we'd like the Prime Minister, we have no confidence in the Prime Minister, then he'd have to face a leadership challenge or leadership competition. So 15% of the party is 54 MPs. And it's all anonymous. So there is, it's, it's unclear how many are sent until it reaches that threshold. And if that threshold is reached, the Prime Minister inf- is informed and it could act happen very quickly. And the, part, the Prime Minister have to face a vote from his own party about whether or not they have confidence in his leadership. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. Uh, thank you, Harry. And it's extremely hard to know uh, when that threshold will be met, because as you say, these letters are 
are sent in and it, they're not made public until uh, the threshold is met. I mean, we know that seven Conservative MPs have been publicly on the record calling for the Prime Minister to resign, but we know that there are dozens of others privately who have been uh, you know, saying stuff to journalists anonymously about how they think the Prime Minister should step down. So it's incredibly hard to know how many letters have gone through. I spoke to a former uh, cabinet minister who is now a backbench Conservative MP, and I tried to find out whether he had any information. He just told me that only Sir Graham Brady truly knows how many letters have gone in. Um, but how likely is it that those 54 letter uh, that 54 letter threshold is met? Uh, do we really think that there will be a vote of no confidence that will be triggered? Cameron, what's your sense? I mean, you work in Westminster, so you've probably got your finger on the pulse. Do you think there are enough MPs to trigger a contest? I believe they have the numbers, or at least they certainly will after the civil service inquiry reports next week. But I think the real question is, will they have the bottle to follow through with submitting their letters? I think this, this week we've heard reports of intimidation tactics coming from uh, Conservative Party whips to try to discourage uh, backbench MPs from submitting these letters. Um, and I, I think that's certainly having, a, having an impact on, on whether or not the, these MPs will, will, will continue to, uh, to submit these letters. Um, but I, I, think, I think the real question is, therefore, whether or not they have the bottle to go through with this. Mm. I mean, the blackmail point is interesting, and it's unbelievable that a senior Conservative backbencher, William Rag MP, who is one of the seven MPs who's publicly called for Boris Johnson to resign, and he also sits on this 1922 committee that Harry just mentioned. It was unbelievable that yesterday he made a public statement saying that MPs who felt as though they had been blackmailed and intimidated by government whips should report this sort of behaviour to the police. I mean, it's uh, it, it's unthinkable that uh, you know you'd have such behaviour and that an MP felt of the same party would feel the need to make such a, a comment. But I would argue that actually, surely these sort of uh, hard-nosed tactics are going to do no good in uh, <laughs> trying to gain support from these MPs, and they may they may even push them the other way. But I think one one factor that's worth talking about, um, and I'd like to get your view on this, Harry, is the defection that we saw um, on Wednesday. Um, and the impact that that's had on potentially calming the rebels and uh, quelling the number of letters going into Graham Brady. I mean, Harry, can you just talk about the impact of the of the defection? I mean, I think the the defection seen a degree of rallying around the prime minister. There was a, in the, during the PMQs there was a um, a I think a significant uh, element of people who were resenting the fact that this was happening. So potentially, potentially that's shored up his, his base a little. It's shored up his base a little bit, but it's it's definitely given. It's been the Labour Party has been hugely big on marketing it and has put it all over their social media and all over their their presentation about this prime minister. So I do think that um, that in terms of the impact of that on the polls, uh, I guess we have to wait and see. But they're obviously very very keen about pushing it pushing it onto the onto the media and making it very clear. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that this defection from uh, and this is the MP for Barry South, Christian Wakeford, who was a Conservative member of Parliament, elected in twenty nineteen on a wafer-thin majority, decided on Wednesday to cross the floor, uh, is the term we use in uh, political speak, to join the Labour Party. Um, and actually, he was um, sort of condemned quite widely by Conservative colleagues for making that decision. And it sort of put the rebels off moving against the Prime Minister, because for them, it was never about uh, potentially joining another political party. For them, it's more about wresting back control 
of their party to put it in the direction that they want it to go in. And so it seems as though the defaction has spectacularly backfired on the rebellion. Um, and, you know, it, but it is quite an interesting decision because it suggests that that MP, who was elected on a small majority as a conservative, now feels as though his chances of getting re-elected are much greater uh, if he stands as a Labour member of parliament. I know there's a big Jewish community in his seat and clearly he feels as though the Labour Party has sufficiently detoxified its image in terms of the anti-Semitism scandals under Jeremy Corbyn's previous leadership. So that's quite an interesting, uh, that's quite an interesting uh, decision in that context. And actually the polling suggests that the Tories will get wiped out as things stand in all but three seats in the so-called red wall that they won in 2019. Um, so anyway, we'll have, to, we'll have to wait to see what happens there. But Cameron, you mentioned this investigation by a civil servant, Sue Gray. Uh, Sue Gray is the sort of big name that's floating around in Westminster at the moment. And I don't think she necessarily wants to be a big name being a civil servant, but she's looking into uh, this uh, party that took place in Downing Street. Um, when do you think that her inquiry will be over? And do you think that post that inquiry, the 54 threshold will be met? Well, I'm hearing that the report is, is scheduled to, to be released uh, early next week, either on Monday or Tuesday. Um, I, I think it will have a significant impact. A, a, lot, a lot of people have already made their minds up as to whether they're going to submit their letters to the 1922 committee or not. Um, but I think Rory Stewart actually made the point uh, on Sky News this morning, albeit far more eloquently than I, than I could. Um, but the, the Prime Minister's credibility as a leader is, is, is compromised by the fact that his, his best defence against the accusations that are being investigated in this report is to claim that he didn't know anything was going on. And I, I suppose it's up for Sue Gray to decide wh whether or not he, he did. Um, but at, at the moment, he's, uh, he's going to try to claim that he, he didn't know that rather than, uh, be, rather than being dishonest about it. So uh, the, the question that is going to come from this report uh, once it is released is, is whether or not uh, we want a prime minister who is ignorant or a prime minister who is dishonest. And truly, we can do a little bit better than that. I think you're completely right in reflecting the mood of the country. Um, and it's clear that the, uh, the Prime Minister's defence and apology has not, uh, has not gone down well of the public, because if you look at the polling, uh, his approval rating is at an all-time low, the Labour Party is at an all-time high. So this, this issue is not, it's simply not going away. Um, and I'm inclined to agree with you, Cameron, that actually, once the Sue Gray report is published, I think a lot of MPs will feel they'll have the sufficient political cover required to justify sending a letter to Graham Brady and triggering a vote of no confidence. Um, but if, if that vote of no confidence is triggered, if the 54 letters are put through, uh, do we think that the Prime Minister, and this is the crucial question that our listeners will be interested in, do we think the Prime Minister will win or lose that vote of no confidence? Harry, what do you think? I think it's, it's, it's very difficult to tell. And I think one thing that's important- That's the politician's answer, isn't it? I know it is. I, it's very much true, but I think you can, you can win a vote of no confidence and still lose it. I think with you, Theresa May, the minute you go into fighting one of these things, it is very, very difficult to survive politically. I, I think if, if, if a vote of no confidence is called, I think there's the potential for it to, for it to, for it to pass, but I don't think it's guaranteed by any means. Um, I know it's a very politician answer, but I think that's what I'm gonna go for. 
Interesting. I mean, I, I would go further. I would argue that actually, I think it's almost inevitable that this vote of no confidence will be triggered. And I, I hope that I don't get held to that analysis in case it doesn't. But it seems to me as though, uh, you know, there are enough different factions within the Conservative Party that are angered at Boris Johnson, that they would be willing, therefore, to put a letter through. Because if you look at the people who publicly called for his resignation, there are a whole mix of MPs. You've got uh, quite right-wing Brexiteers calling for him to go. Um, and then at the same time, you've got moderate Conservatives who've always disagreed with Boris Johnson on policy issues calling for his resignation. So it seems as though the moderates and the uh, more right-wing members of the parliamentary party can unite in disliking the prime minister, and that makes it easier to meet the threshold of 54. Then add in the fact that this group of 2019ers from the Red Wall seats are also agitating against him, um, although you could argue, using Cameron's term from earlier, that they bottled it in the last couple of days. Uh, but they seem quite annoyed with the prime minister too. I mean, they, they may you know, submit those letters in. And then before you know it, you've got three different factions who could uh, put those letters through. But I think the challenge actually in my view, is not whether a you know, confidence um, vote is triggered, but it's whether the Prime Minister uh, will win it or not. Because surely one thing going for the PM is that because of all these different factions, there is no one single alternative leadership candidate that the Parliamentary Party can get behind. Do you agree with that, Cameron? Uh, to an extent, I, I do. I think Harry made a, a really important point that there, there's a precedent for all this. When Theresa May uh, had voted no confidence uh, in her in 2019, um, she she won that vote of no confidence. Um, but Jacob Rees-Mogg made the point at the time that the current leader of the House of Commons, that it did irreparable damage to her reputation and her credibility as a leader to have one third of her entire parliamentary party uh, vote uh, against her in this no confidence vote. Uh, and I, I think that really was terminal for her. So to whatever extent Boris um, comes, out of, comes out of this vote of no confidence, he is going to have exactly the same irreparable damage done to him and his credibility as a leader. Um, so re regardless of who these factions rally around, um, there, there really may be no coming back for Boris Johnson after this vote of no confidence, if indeed it is called. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting point. And I think you're right that if 100 MPs, if a third of the parliamentary party vote against the prime minister and no confidence vote, surely his authority is uh, permanently damaged. It's a question of how long he can limp on for before he goes. And he'll want to try and buy as much time as possible because he doesn't want his legacy to be the fact that his premiership came to a swift end because of a scandal involving the fact that he broke his own COVID-19 rules. Um, but if, if the no-confidence vote is won by the Prime Minister, um, what's the next milestone that could potentially uh, deal him a fatal blow? Because it does seem as though there are a lot of crises coming up in the next few months, which stand alone without the context of all the other political drama that's uh, taken place. Um, stand alone, you know, rising inflation, the fact that it's going to peak at 7%, that would be an issue that could cause damage to any government. Uh, the fact that energy bills are set to double from April, that's another issue that can really uh, undermine a government and have, a, and have cut through voters because of the cost of living challenges that they will face. So uh, if he does survive a confidence vote in the next few weeks, if one is even triggered, what will be the fatal blow that will take him out? I think 
what's really interesting about the factors you just described in terms of a, a higher cost of living and inflation is that these actually might, I, I think, potentially sh sh could shore up Boris Johnson's position because there is incentive perhaps to not call it now because to, um, the idea of starting a prime minister's time at the, with these factors at play would be would be an mm. impossible task. So I wonder, I wonder if that if it could even delay having these in the horizon could delay it. But I do, I, I completely agree with your uh, point that these inflation, the high cost of living for any prime minister, but particularly Boris Johnson, who's already so so damaged by recent events, would be would be very difficult to, to weather. Well, let, let's take your point. Let's say it does get delayed. Um, Cameron, what would be the impact if? The Prime Minister is still in position in May when the local elections take place. Well, yeah, that, that was the next point uh, I was hoping to make. I, I think his reputation, as it sounds, we, we've seen the polling recently, and it is terrible for the Conservatives. And if the Prime Minister comes out of local elections having been battered and bruised and lost seats all over the country, if he does win this vote of no confidence, um, one of the rules surrounding that is that another one can't be called for another year, which means that we could potentially see the Conservative Party in a position where it's lost all credibility as a result of uh, damaging defeats in the local elections, uh, but with nowhere else to go, given the fact that Boris Johnson will have bought himself another year in power. Um, on the other hand, um, he may do what Theresa May did and uh, feel that he has no other option but to resign as a result of this. Mm, I mean, it, it does seem challenging. I, I completely take your point on the 12-month the rule and you're completely correct. But yeah, it does seem challenging if you do still face a vote of no confidence to, to survive another year. And we know that there are many people who are agitating to take over. I mean, Harry, who are, who are the sort of names that are floating around in terms of potential Boris Johnson successes? There's a, a selection of people who, who would be in the running for this. I think the first one that comes to mind is Rishi Sunak. He's obviously a very high profile figure, a very recognisable face um, and very capable orator, but he is very tied to this existing government as the Chancellor. Another one that comes to mind is Liz Truss. She's very po popular in the, in the Conservative Party membership at WIDE. She's um, been on international trade, she's now the foreign secretary, so she has experience within government. That's another name. Um, I think those two come to mind. I don't know, if, uh, Cameron, if there's anyone else you think could be in the in contention. Yeah, so we we've heard uh, we've heard rumblings uh, from the chair of the the health select committee, uh, Jeremy Hunt, who was of course um, Boris Johnson's previous adversary in the last leadership election, uh, and other fringe names such as uh, Tom Dugenhat. Uh, have been popping up who who have a, a smaller base of support perhaps amongst the party um so there, there's certainly um people uh, across the spectrum uh, from 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 the right of the party to the center of the party who, who look like they could be angling for a, a crack at the leadership if boris is to go absolutely um so yeah it's going to be a, an interesting next few months because all of those potential leadership contenders will be uh jockeying to position themselves as a potential leadership successes. But I think it's important for our listeners to understand that this is not just about Westminster gossip and drama, but actually it has a real implication on policy. Um, but first of all, Cameron, uh, you're, you're in Scotland right now. Uh, you're closely involved in, with Scottish politics, given your uh, job. What is the impact of this scandal on the relationship between the Scottish Conservatives and the Westminster Conservative Party, and crucially, what does that impact in terms of the debate on the Union and its future? 
Yeah, so I, I've, I think people are, are well aware that a, a rift has started to form between the, the Westminster and the Holyrood Conservative Party. Uh, and of course, the, the, the Holyrood uh, wing of this Conservative Party is led by Douglas Ross, and he's an incredibly principled leader. And a, as a minister in the Scotland office, he, he resigned uh, from that role over the Dominic, Cum, Dominic Cummings uh, fiasco, where he drove from London to Durham. Um, and, you know, that, that's part of the reason he, he was selected to, to lead the Scottish Conservatives in first place after Jackson Carla. He, he leads the largest opposition party in Holyrood against, against the SNP Green Coalition there. And he leads them very effectively. And I, I think he's backed himself into a little bit of a corner over this, um, over his initial comments, certainly about Partygate. As I said, he's, he's very principled and he almost left himself with no other choice but to call for Boris to resign. Um, he feels a need to remain philosophically consistent. And that chimes well with voters. That's the reason he's managed to hold a seat in, in, uh, in Mori against the SNP. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I, I think we, we, we've seen a real rift between uh, the Scottish and, and English wings of the party um, over this. Yeah, and actually it's, it's an unbelievable situation where you've got a senior figure in the... Uh, Smog, openly, publicly attacking the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, calling uh, Douglas Ross a political lightweight figure. So it's clear that this uh, party scandal has had uh, a damaging impact on uh, relationships between the Scottish Conservatives and the Westminster Party, which will have repercussions for how effectively the public will see the Conservatives as being the champions and defenders of the Union, which we know uh, north of the border is an increasingly uh, salient political issue and it's going to have a real impact on the lives of Scots. But Harry, there are other policy impacts uh, that have come from, uh, from this situation. I mean, we heard in the press about Operation Red Meat, where Boris Johnson was desperately last, well, at the start of this week, trying to save his premiership through announcing policies he thought would be, pos uh, would be popular with his MPs to placate them and stop them from uh, calling for his resignation. Um, you know, including on the BBC licence fee. Um, so do you want to take us through a couple of those so that our listeners can really understand the tangible impact this drama is already having? Okay, so I think all the, all the, um, the hostility and all these, all these bickering on the Conservative aisles have led to the announcement of, of some policies which I guess are potentially to appease the Parliamentary Party. So I think one which comes to mind is the, um, the announcement of a five-day isolation period, the retraction of the Plan B measures, obviously potentially cynically, Part of that could be to deflect. Um, and that's something obviously Labour have accused the Conservatives of doing. Uh, another one which comes to mind as well is the to be announced that the army will be aiding stopping the um, channel crossings and trying to stop um, um, migration across. So that's obviously something trying to appease an aspect of the Conservative Party. So policies like this potentially are, uh, are trying to have a deflectionary effect. Yeah, and the government also announced that they are going to scrap the BBC TV licence fee. Uh, in 2027, uh, which is extremely popular with some right-wing uh, Conservative MPs, and BBC bashing can go a long way with that faction. So it's clear that the, the current situation in Westminster has already had an impact on uh, policies, which in turn will have an impact on people's lives. Um, I mean, everyone with a TV needs to pay the licence fee, for instance. Uh, and in Scotland, certainly the union debate will be impacted given the rift between the Scottish Tories and the Westminster Conservatives. Um, and crucially, it can impact the future direction of the government because, of course, if the Prime Minister 
uh, leaves office, be it in a few weeks if he's forced out by losing a no confidence vote, or even if he survives that vote, um, you know, he might, he might not uh, survive post May local elections. It's clear that if there is a change of leadership, if it's Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, whoever it may be, that would obviously take the British government in a very different direction, which in turn would impact the lives of people living in the UK and beyond. But Cameron and Harry, thanks so much for joining me for yet another podcast analysing all the drama that's unfolding in UK politics. And thanks so much to our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this Polis podcast episode. At Polis Analysis, we are fully devoted to helping individuals better navigate the political world. So we would love to hear your thoughts and please do share any suggestions you may have for future Polis podcast episodes. Follow the Polis Podcast channel on Spotify to access our weekly episodes. And if you want to better navigate the political world with accessible, fact-based and impartial analysis of global politics, then sign up to our free newsletter at www.polisanalysis.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening.